Salam. This is In Conversation with Network Reorient in association with Reorient Journal and the Critical Muslim Studies Project. We aim to explore the post-Western, reconnect the Islamosphere. In this episode, Amina Iset Das is in conversation with Malika Hamidi on Muslim feminisms. Assalamu alaikum and good welcome to the next episode of the Critical Muslim Studies Network Reorient podcast. My name is Dr. Amina Isat Das. I'm a lecturer in politics at De Montfort University in Leicester. I specialise in Islamophobia studies, particularly gendered Islamophobia and Muslim women's political participation. Today I'm joined by Dr. Malika Hamidi. Um, she has gained her PhD from the, the, high, the School of um, Social Sciences in Paris, in France. She is a fen- French, Belgian and European activist and specialises in the study of Muslim feminisms. Welcome, Malika. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amina, for inviting me on that uh, insightful podcast. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I thought perhaps we could begin. Could you maybe give us a brief background into your work and your books around Muslim feminism? What are the central themes that you cover? Uh, Thank you again for the invitation and for giving me the opportunity to speak about my book. So what I can say uh, is that the condition of Muslim women around the world has progressed significantly over the past decades regarding access to education and involvement in political life and civil society in the West and in the global Muslim world. So in my book, I wish to introduce the main actors, female, who promote the discourse of Muslim feminism, reclaim Muslim women's right to interpret religious texts, especially concerning women's status in Islam, and who seek to achieve equal citizenship in the European context. So the book highlights how Muslim feminists challenge the presumed universality of feminism in the French-speaking part of Europe by deconstructing reigning feminist theories and reconfiguring the cartography of feminisms. So uh, those European Muslim feminists do this through their political claims and identity affirmation in a shared desire to escape structures of domination. So the basic purpose of this book is to explore what is meant by Muslim feminism and to unveil uh, this Muslim women's movement, which asserts an avant-garde hybrid identity in Europe in an environment infected by the upsurge of Islamophobia. That's super fascinating. Um, So just to unpick a little bit, what motivated you to write about um, Muslim feminisms? Why were you motivated to write the book? So in recent years, a generation of Muslim women to which I belong emerged gaining autonomy and becoming more visible on the political media and media stage. We did through involvement in civil society organizations and in the academic and political communities. Armed with political and intellectual maturity, we became agents of change, which was viewed as both unexpected and disturbing. So the emergence of the affaire du foulard, you know, the headscarf issue, divided feminist and secular movements as Muslim women in France, reassessed the founding principles of what we perceived as an anti-clerical secularism and a non-inclusive feminism. And in this uh, in this context, a thought-provoking movement arose in cha- to challenge to this, to challenges, first in France and then in Belgium, 
collectives of Muslim activists asserted a combined feminist and Islamic perspective. So the stage was set, feminist and Muslim, why not? Which is the name of my book. So I felt an in-depth study of this phenomenon which was necessary to disconstruct the mutual stereotypes and dispel negative thinking. So I decided to undertake researches and to give a voice to the voiceless. I find um, points of similarity with my own work there. So the Affaire du Foulard, for our listeners who don't know, the headscarf affairs, they've really been going on, strictly speaking, in France since 1989, but it's been a long-standing issue even before that in the French imagination, particularly around colonialism and the need to unveil and uncover Muslim women. And this, for me, has really been a colonial continuation In 2004 in France, things really kicked off with the ban, the law, the Stasi law, banning ostentatious faith symbols. And I see a lot of um, similarities in my own work with Muslim women who are politically active, citing this point as a key motivating factor. The idea that the French state could make such an anti-feminist claim in terms of policing Muslim women's bodies. It's, it's wholly anti-feminist in my view, uh, contrary to, to, to the basis of what feminism means. This was a motivating factor for a lot of Muslim women to become involved in politics. So there's some interesting um, synergies. And that, I think, was really a crucial point, crucial in, in really legislating Muslim women's alterity in the French sphere, but also signaling broader um, across Europe the, the legitimacy of this othering of Muslim women. So it's interesting to see that the feminist movement, the Muslim feminist movement, cites this as a key, a key uh, point within its genesis. Um, so in the past, I know in, sorry, you, you've, um, in the past, you've described your book as controversial. How has the book been received? So my book, uh, um, which dealing with discourses, activism and identity strategies that Muslim feminists from Europe mobilize is aimed at a broad readership, as mentioned uh, uh, before, Amina. So it introduces a new school of thought imbued with hope for a new potential, the prospect of forging feminist solidarities beyond religious affiliations. So if the book could have been described as controversial, uh, it was very well received by scholars, professionals, and those in feminist organizations, whether Muslim or not. As a matter of fact, in France, the acrimonious debate surrounding the controversial headscarf issue has not only divided the feminist movement, but has revealed racist and colonialist currents harbored by some women and men activists. So this is evident in the speeches of some intellectuals who are consciously or unconsciously influenced by their country's colonial past, which also guides their relationships through European women descending from immigrants from the former colonies. And thanks to God, the book was reissued last March, and I'm still promoting it. So I would like uh, this book uh, offer a means of clarification and of pacifying the unhealthy atmosphere against Islam and veiled women in particular, which plagues French-speaking Europe. Absolutely. I think for me as well, the the book and your work reveals the potential um, or, or the, the way in which there is a perceived singularity of feminism and it's often a white dominant 
feminism that protects the interest of the colonizers, the former colonizers, rather than rather than the interests of black feminists, Muslim feminists, and so on. And I think this the the work really brings that um, to the fore. The idea of this multiplicity of feminisms and that we could all potentially have a space within all of that. And the traditional modes of feminisms are perhaps not adequately representing our concerns. Rather, they're being employed to uh, legitimise the control of Muslimness. And we see that in the debates around Muslim women's dress in particular, the idea that that a lot of um, quote-unquote feminists mobilise around controlling Muslim women's outward visible Muslimness and they claim it and it's often claimed that it it is a mode of liberating these women I mean that reeks of colonial attitudes but it also shows it also shows the limits of more traditional modes of feminism so I, I find that fascinating so how do you orient the current debates particularly in Europe um in relation to your work on Muslim feminisms, I'm minded to think of the bans that have uh, recently been implemented and then somewhat lifted um, across federal Belgium uh, with regards to wearing the hijab or the headscarf in higher education. How do you position your work in relation to all of this, the new developments? Yeah, so you're right. Over the past 20 years, uh, the headscarf has become a screen on which Europe's political fears and struggles are being projected, according to uh, Katarzyna Paleka from the University College London. From that perspective, we can say that the prevailing Islamophobia could be understood as a psychological reflex of self-defense against the other, and especially when it comes to women who are redefining a new model of liberation from an Islamic paradigm at the heart of Belgian society. And so from this perspective, Muslim women are perceived as the, as the other and embody the Muslim problem in Belgium and in France, and as well in the whole Europe, actually. So fortunately, uh, this stereotyped vision is increasingly contradicted by numerous books and researches by historians and intellectuals who are all showing that Muslim women have always been political leaders and have been highly involved in the civil society from the very beginning of the revelation of the Muslim of, of, Islam, of the message of Islam. And thus, uh, the headscarf is either seen as a symbol of subjugation and therefore Muslim women must be saved. But when they take clear responsibility for wearing it, they are seen as rebels who need to be controlled, as you said, mm-hmm. because they might have hid, uh, hidden a political agenda or even might be instrumentalized by their men or the organization to which they may belong. And yet this is exactly this profile of Muslim women who now are defining themselves as Muslim and feminist that is particularly particularly promising because they are contributing positively to social justice, political and collective liberation, being influential from local to international politics and by being invested in the and by investing all the areas of the society. And through this concept, uh, they appropriate a socio-political legitimacy and they break this convention with them to which one would like to assign them. They create their mark of liberation by using solidarity and coalition strategies in terms of demands, while identifying the roots of oppression by tackling their causes in a sustainable and constructive way through critical thinking and constant and constant dialogue. 
And what I want to, to, to add is that uh, over the past five years, uh, we have witnessed the emergence of a truly Muslim post-feminism that has resulted in the political and intellectual maturation of Muslim women in terms of ideas, and which has opened new windows of hope in this quest of, of freedom beyond the need to mobilize the religious frame of reference. Uh, there are no longer prisoners of the preeminence of their religious identity, which according to some of them polarizes and they are engaged in the promotion of what I call a Muslim feminism 2.0, uh, which is interesting, interesting in terms of intersectional solidarity. So those Muslim feminists 2.0, uh, they are advocating for a more inclusive and promising feminist movement that recognizes the, constitu the constitutive diversity of women across ethnic, religious, racial, and gender boundaries. From now, uh, uh, Muslim feminism is everywhere accessible to all, thanks to new technologies and especially through the internet. So we are truly facing a new wave of emancipatory claiming of Muslim feminism 2.0, which promote independent communication systems and gain real visibility via social networks and the internet. So I think that this new form of digital and feminist empowerment allows to overcome all forms of media censorship. They are empowered and no longer depend on mainstream media that give them little space for their editorial lines. So these Muslim feminist activists of the early 21st century created this modern and accessible Muslim feminism 2.0, accessible to all men and women, Muslim or not. Mm -hmm. So today, Muslim feminists in Europe are contributing to the history of women's resistant, uh, resistance, revolutionizing the collective perception of the stereotypical image of Muslim women and promoting a, a revolution of solidarity uh, this is a struggle beyond uh, religious affiliation. This is a depoliticization of the issue of Muslim women in order to repoliticize this we women in the face of time and identity and in the light of a Muslim feminism 2.0. That's, I find that really interesting. I see parallels there with the ideas of the, the waves of feminism, the first wave, second wave feminism. And I think um, in, in more traditional schools of thought around feminism, I think that then Muslim feminism is going through or undergoing those same processes of evolution, change and responsiveness to the current debates that are projected onto Muslim feminism and to which it is having to respond, but also through these new technologies. So it's fascinating to see that evolution and change. One of the things I guess out of all of that, the idea of agency becomes yeah. really important. So yeah. the debates constructed around Muslim women, as we said, there's this idea of the the kind of um, Spivakian white savior model yeah. we see. But then there's also, um, and I'm minded to think of people like uh, Fadila Amara's book, where she talks about, well, you know, if they're not the kind that need liberating, they're the kind that are these uh, soldiers of green fascism, I think she calls them. The idea that Muslim women wouldn't possibly know, but they are being instrumentalized by their men, in inverted commas again. And, and it's so meaningless and vague, really. And it's, I guess, Muslim feminism is a framework within which women can assert 
their identity as Muslim women, that hybridity, that intersectional identity um, really coming forward and, and the evolution of all of that, especially when our presence, particularly yeah. a gendered Muslim presence, is so heavily politicised that that means a repoliticization from the point of the Muslim women's voice, woman's voice. I think that that's that's usually important, and I guess it underpins a lot of those the concerns and the trends that those of us who work on gendered Muslimness um, are seeing, particularly in the European context. Yeah. So, in terms of we've talked a lot about Europe, where do you see the connections between? Um, Muslim feminists in Europe and and Muslim feminists in the in the the predominantly Muslim world. So in uh, in recent years, uh, we can say that uh, committed Muslim female intellectuals in Europe have been able to build new relationships of solidarity between them based on their religious identity beyond Europe's uh, borders. So I want to take uh, the examples of those transnational feminist networks, such as Musawa Movement, Karama, with Aziz El-Hibri um, in the United States. And I want to take uh, and to specify uh, um, an example with the GERFI. Uh, this is uh, the Group International d'études et de réflexion sur la femme islam, the international group of reflection on women and Islam. Uh, uh, which was um, uh, launched, I think it was in, in 2007. And uh, those networks are the result of the development of new communication and information technologies because mm -hmm. it allows Muslim women in Europe to share knowledge, to have the possibility to impact to impact the work and activist, activism of Muslim women in the Muslim uh, majorities country. So uh, let me come back to the GERFI, which, which was established in Barcelona in 2007. I was a founding member. And as a transnational network, uh, it connected women intellectuals and activists, mainly in the Francophone world, uh, but also from the Middle East and broader Muslim world. So that network was shared by uh, Asma Lamrabet, uh, mm -hmm. that you might know. She's an American Muslim intellectual, internationally renowned for, their, for her interpretation of the Quran and other religious sources from a women's point, view, point of view. So the Jerfi had served as a two-way conduit of knowledge production and solidarity. It expedits the rise of new kinds of questions and forms of political commitments flowing from the local to the transnational to the transnational and vice versa. So this kind of network, GFI, stimulated the emergence of a new civil society without border, which nurtured the globalization of Muslim women from Europe to uh, the Muslim uh, uh, majorities countries. I like the idea of solidarities across boundaries and borders, I think that that is a useful way of considering things and an idea, a framework within which the transnationality of Muslim feminism, although we've talked about it within the context of Europe, it's potentially something that has, that there is a need for, that there, there is space for um, across the world and, and even in, in the predominantly Muslim world. Um, so I guess moving forwards, what sort of opportunities do you see in relation to, to Muslim feminism, but also the challenges that might lie ahead? Yeah. So over the past few years, Muslim feminists have been advocating for and promoting alliances 
with feminists from diverse locations in order to formulate an anti-racist and anti-capitalist feminism. And this is all the more urgent because the systems of oppression against women on the economic and political front are being reasserted throughout French-speaking Europe. Muslim women are being excluded from the job market and consequently they are economically weakened. And secondly, political fallout from the headscarf issue in France, as well as in Belgium, has led to the legitimizing of stigmatizing and Islamophobic laws, which continue the marginalization of a generation of women who feel fully European. And according to these women, such re reaction produced racist and, and colonial relations, which until now perpetuate a hierarchy between women and divide them according to sexual uh, social and racial categories. So the main challenge, an inclusive feminism must be to develop and joint strategies devised in order to resist the spread neo-colonial divisiveness among women. And I think this is the future of Muslim feminism. And uh, I would add that I have a second book who is, go who is supposed to come back to to come out, and um, which is forwarded by uh, Amina Wadud. I'm very proud to have her uh, as a forwarder. And uh, I really hope that uh, a book will open new, uh, uh, new scope of thinking of the future of uh, Islam and feminism. And more than that, uh, that post-Muslim feminism that we are uh, promoting now. Look out um, intently for the forthcoming book, but it's been fascinating talking with you about your work. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will agree, we've learned a great deal. Um, that, so thank you very much for your time and your participation. You're most welcome. You're <laughs> thank, most you. welcome. thank you, Amina. This has been another episode of In Conversation, brought to you by Network Reorient, the podcast arm of Critical Muslim Studies. Thank you for tuning in. Have a listen to our other episodes and please leave a like and a rating.